Hello and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where uh, I guess the joke doesn't work anymore. It's all just real professionals here now. We have since uh, that the ship has sailed to the land of real professionals. So I guess it's just the podcast where uh, people talk about games now, which is uh, which is fine. I guess we uh, we don't have any podcasts where people talk about video games yet, so this is the first. So that, that's good. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, you know, we're coming back after a, a long time off, uh, but it was all good things, the reason that we're off. We've been, uh, real busy kind of ramping up production into the next game, which is, uh, you know, what we're here to talk about today. Uh, we got DreadX Collection 4, The Hunt, coming out, uh, pretty soon, uh, April 13th. If, uh, you, you're inclined to go looking for that on Steam, we'd appreciate it. Add it to your wish list. And, uh, which you, you should know, be. They should be excited about it. Very, very true. Um, we got a full house today. We're going to be interviewing Philip Hasselbach, a.k.a. Philosophic, uh, one of the devs from the collection. He uh, made a game called Axis Monday for it, uh, kind of like a like a fatal frame first person thing. Uh, you'll hear all about it in the podcast. Um, and so, you know what? Without further ado, DJ, why don't you go, go ahead and uh, drop that sick beat? we have a full house today so uh you know i'm here with uh star star how you doing today pretty good jesse as always jesse say hi hi jesse there he is and uh we're also here with david shemansky uh who is you know co-producing kind of creative directing on this project how you doing david hello i am good apart from a sore throat and which then, I, of hate, course... I hate having a sore throat yeah no i mean especially if you're gonna be doing a pod that's a, that's a yeah. bad <laughs> piece of equipment to have currently at not full capacity uh, and then we have Phil over here. Phil, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. It's a bit of an odd hour for you because uh, you are located in Sweden, right? Yeah. Fuck. What? Okay. Can you <laughs> tell me how Scandinavia is laid out? So it's basically one long piece of land where Sweden is the largest. So you're long. the best part. Yeah, we're the best, of All course. Right. Swede, Swedes certainly think so. <laughs> we do. My aunt lived in Sweden for a while. <laughs> married a married a Swedish man and became Swedish herself. That's, That's cool. how that works, right? If you live somewhere yeah. long enough and marry someone from that place, you just become that nationality, right? <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh, so, uh, how, how, how's uh, how's your game coming along, Phil? Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Axis Monday? Ooh, jump you right okay. into it. Oh, you yeah. know what? I, I figured that I wanted to because I really liked his game. And so I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> not trying to cut off the pleasantries here. I just kind of wanted to get into uh, the meat of it because I, I think that you have a really, a couple of really interesting games here. And I don't want to like spend another two hours rambling before getting to be able to talk about it like I am want to do often. Okay, so Axis Monday is going really well. I'm pretty much done with the game, I think, now. There might be some small bugs left, but I think, as a whole, the game is just pretty much done. And I'm happy with it. 
Yeah, I think we're all actually pretty happy with it. I mean, like, yeah, uh, I think everyone here's played it now, right? Yes. Not me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Jesse, Jesse still hasn't played it yet, because uh, he's been d- doing some other stuff, so he'll see it kind of, like, with everyone else when it launches. But, uh... But no spoilers, please. Don't talk about it. Well, I guess the podcast is over. <laughs> all right, thanks for joining, everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, what, so, you know, why don't you go ahead and give us, like, a rundown of, like, the game, you know, your idea behind it and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so I heard a lot of people um, refer to the game as a kind of first-person Fatal Frame thing. And, like, the fun fact is I never I never played a Fatal Frame game. I've barely heard of Fatal Frame before. So I'm not really sure if that's an accurate description, but people seem to like it, uh, like to call it like that. So I guess that's good. But um, uh, the idea kind of uh, came when you uh, announced the constraints for this for this collection. When you said it was supposed to be like hunt slash hunted, uh, that kind of mechanic, uh, being a first person game, and that kind of uh, and like then we had twenty days to make the game, right? So like I I had a few ideas before for for what I wanted to do, but all those ideas were in the third person. And totally different wouldn't have fit into this collection. So when uh, when I got the when you told me about the constraints and what the theme of the collection should be, I kind of just went to like my personal interests for inspiration. So I I live here in Sweden in Vanland. It's kind of semi-rural place. It, it was in the middle of the winter when we started the collection. And I love photography and ghost stories and coffee. So I pretty much just made a game set here in Värmland uh, in the winter about hunting ghosts with a camera and drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a solid idea. I think it, it translated really well, too. But, like, um, for... So... Why don't you go ahead and like kind of explain the the core gameplay loop? I was about to do it, but you could probably do that better than me. Yeah, sure. Um, so the core gameplay loop is basically to to fit into the hunt hunter and hunted theme. I kind of made that uh, you photograph the ghosts to capture them, but the f- camera flash needs like uh, five to eight seconds of recharging, and when the camera is charging, you can't take photos and you have to run away from the ghosts. So that like creates this mechanic where you get the power and you lose the power back and forth, like I don't know, Pac-Man or something. It's interesting and, because there's um, a couple games in this collection that um, have sort of the same dynamic of uh, you you have a very powerful attack, but it takes a long time to reload in some way, prep in some way. Um, it's interesting that a couple of you all independently had the same had the same idea uh, for combat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that was the when you announced the theme Hunt slash Hunter, it kind of just brings forth that type of ideas. Yeah, it kind of, it makes sense, yeah. Yeah, you know what? <clears throat> That's actually an interesting point, because um, this is something that actually uh, we were talking, I was talking to Star about earlier for, like, uh, marketing stuff, which is that, um, you know, w- when we when we talk about, like, the hunt, like, you know, the, 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 ki- the kind of shooter that you expect for that is like weightier, heavier versus like the expectation of like a, a, a of a boomer shooter, you know, like the different styles yeah. of shooters that exist. 
Yeah, we were. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was uh, interesting. Also, uh, Ted wanted to call it Jedex Collection Hunter Hunted. <laughs> then, uh, and then we had the discussion of, okay, it can be Hunter or Hunted. And then it got to the hunt. So it wasn't, uh, that wasn't right away. Also, we were struggling with, like, do we call it for or the hunt? And uh, Patrick was like, the hunt is better. So we went with that. So and of course, that's... I wanted David Samansky presents David Samansky's DreadX collection. That didn't go over well. That didn't, that didn't go over well. No, your, your name's in there a few times, though. Just, uh, uh, you know, it's Not like nearly enough. Well, I mean, I just got to say that when you type in, it's your your name is very hard to type. So yes, if we wanted to definitely. put that, the whole title as David Shemansky presents DreadX Collection for the Hunt, uh, we would be ungoogleable. <laughs> yes. This is a joke, by the way, for everyone listening. I don't, my ego is not that big. <laughs> no, no, you've been very lovely to work with so far. Thank you. Uh, no, that is interesting, because, like, you know, um, when you, when, because basically when, you know, I went, went to everyone, I was like, hey, we're going to be making a, a shooter collection. The theme is Hunter slash Hunted. So you're both the Hunter and the Hunted. So that was kind of a, a horror f- flip on that kind of like uh, the style of, of shooter. And I think that, um, you know, p- people kind of picture different kinds of games when they, when they imagine that they all have this kind of you know, like universal feel of like weightiness and also like uh, something different than I guess what I guess David's best known for, which is dusk, which is kind of the quintessential bo- boomer shooter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of ironic that uh, in a way that, um, the, you know, I'm I'm helping to produce it because I yeah I think most people think of me uh, doing like you know super quick jump bunny hop around craziness, which is uh, funny because it's only one of the games that you've made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just the most popular one. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting too because um I will say that I'm glad that we're talking to Philip here first because when I was when I was because I've played the entire like David Shemansky uh, gameography discography. What, are, what would you call it? Gameography, because not discography. Like a... Even though discography doesn't even really make sense anymore, because I guess musicians don't even like make discs anymore, do they? <laughs> yeah, true. It's like yeah, library, library, yeah, library, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah, probably library. We'll have to invent a term for it so that I can pretend. That I'm David Szymanski cinematic universe, <laughs> gamematic universe, Szymanski <laughs> universe, the um, David Szymanski trough. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, the point I'm making is that, um, uh, over the entirety of games you've made, you made a lot of slower games and then, you know, Dusk, and I was thinking that, like, if you were, like, kind of making games in that vein still, the older, the, the, the walking simulator style of game, I think that what Philip made here with Access Monday is kind of, like, where you would land with that level of, like, mixture of exploration and then, like, if you were to add combat, that kind of weightiness, oh. you know what I mean? Yeah, I ag- I, say, I agree. Yeah, I just want to say real quick before we move on, just like uh, like game development is very much a collaborative experience. So who you're working with is going to influence how you make the game. And even though like Phil was pretty much Phil and David in the past collections have been by themselves making their games, I'm sure like Ted, you've influenced them in some way. Me? So oh, just- yeah. I'm very influential. I'm super important. <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, people think uh, like producers and stuff like. Like, we're not game developers, but I'm like, man, I feel like I uh, have something to do with these games. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's a very collaborative thing. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's a lot harder than it's made out to be 
a lot of times to like pinpoint whose influence is where in a project. Mm-hmm. It's not just like like I've I've had uh sometimes with stuff I've worked on, people will be like, Oh, there's I can see that, you know, that's you coming out and it'll be like, No, that was not me. That was a uh, another person who did that yeah. you know had that idea stuff like I, I that. think when i when i presented axis monday like uh, at our first presentation it felt like i just made a game catered for you david yeah <laughs> like it, it it unintentionally kind of <laughs> oh you were like... you, one of the reference points was infra which is yeah, like yeah. a game that i i absolutely love some and not necessarily that well known so i'm like yes i am on board with this <laughs> But anyway, that's uh, that's enough about um, the the tangent of uh, me. Let's get back no, to no, talking no. I mean, about I, the game. I, I think it is interesting, though. You know, like I, I was saying, is that like because uh, I, I think that like oftentimes like uh, uh, people get really no- well known for one thing, and it's like, well, there's all these other things that I do as well, or these other like like because you know, I, I, it was also interesting, like what kind of interests a horror dev. You know, like a uh, uh, yeah. infra, like is not like a is not really a horror game, but What's mm-hmm. infra, yeah, it's like a structural analysis game. It's like a game kind of. Uh, there are there are very well hidden horror elements to it. Yes, but you have to be looking for them, and it's sort of like a it's sort of like a walk around. Uh, it puzzly. It's almost like a point and click adventure, but it's not point and click. It's it's in the source engine, and it's like you know entirely in real time and stuff um wow. and it's just sort of like it, it's sort of like urban exploration pornography it's mm-hmm. just it's like fun. the like the one of probably the best game about urban exploration ever made yeah. just all the locations are so detailed and it has that perfect feel to it oh. um i just find it a really comfy game you just you know you walk around these awesome environments and you solve puzzles and it's super long you can just kind of like get into it and chill and oh, i love it so much so when phil was like we're going to have infra puzzles i'm like yay yay <laughs> yeah no, i mean, I, I, I call it half-life without the combat yeah it is kind of that although some of the puzzles are more involved uh yeah. but some of them are very half-life 2-esque what about boxes yeah yeah there's box stacking for sure those are probably the worst parts of the game to be honest um but they're not bad it's just you're like oh box stacking but i want to i want to do the puzzles where i have to solve like you know uh water treatment facility flow issues or things like that yeah is it like talos principle because i know that's walking around and solving puzzles too um, I haven't played Talos Principle, but I know the setup for that is a lot more, um... I'd, I'd say the, the Talos Principle is a lot more abstract. Is yeah. yeah, yeah, the setup is a lot more abstract, and... as far as I know. Infra is, is, um, tries to be a lot more sort of reality-based, so the puzzles yeah. you're solving uh... are, like, real-world logical to some degree. I'm sure they're, you know, I'm sure when you're when you're doing stuff like... You know, fixing electrical issues or things like that. It's not really true to life. It's been yes. made into a puzzle form, but they're all very sort of reality-based puzzles like that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it was kind of like, um, Infra's kind of like uh, Portal 2, in the sense that a lot of the puzzles take place in the real world, and they're not, 
like they're in the game puzzles, but in in the logic of the world, you're just trying to traverse this kind of crumbling infrastructure. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Okay. <clears throat> it's a good game. What are, what are what the infra? Infra? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, talking about Phil because uh, uh, yeah. What other influences? Because uh, you're. You're um it, okay. Here's what's amazing about working with a lot of horror developers is it seems like they have more mature tastes. So like a lot of our like younger developers uh, are into like older games that like obscure older games. Like Adam is uh, the same way who made Spookware. So I'm wondering like where'd you get these uh like ideas from? So like so, some of the visuals I got from a few older games like. Uh, two of my favorites, Return to Castle Wolfenstein and uh, Realms of the Haunting kind of inspired me visually. But like most of the inspirations for this game actually came from outside gaming as a whole. Like more from the actual like photography and folklore. But um, uh, in, in, a, in a combat sense I think I actually was most inspired by kind of like Doom, Doom Eternal that kind of intense combat loop. So it's it's a, it's a really wide mix of com- of uh, inspirations that just kind of bond it together pretty well. So so also beyond the, the game isn't only like combat. It's not it's not just fighting ghosts. There's some story parts in the game. I've even added some uh, full motion video in there. Actual footage I took when driving around here in the local area. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And there's. Yeah, as we talked about, there's some puzzle solving spell as well, like a Half-Life kind of sense or infra. Yeah, it's a very nice mix of things. I um, yes, I uh, when I finished testing one of the um, earlier like completed builds, it was like I remember I remember feeling right at like right before I finished the game, I was like. Okay, I can feel this is where the game needs to finish. This is where it's like it's explored the concept fully, like like mm-hmm. fully well, and it was a satisfying game, and it needs to end right here, and that's right when it ended, <laughs> which is like, yeah. like perfect. You did the balance right. That's so hard for for game development. Like it's one of those yes, like, things. The game dev feel is wow. Like I um people don't realize it because they play so many polished like. Hi, you know, people with tons of experience. They play a lot of those games. They don't play a lot of prototypes. I don't play a lot of demos. So they don't know how hard it is to nail. Uh, so it's like actually pretty, like, yeah. Bill, you, you've been impressing all of us, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels like a very satisfying, complete experience yes. in a very short runtime, which is not easy to nail at all. In fact, that's something that I, as yeah. a developer, struggle with constantly, as you can probably see in my Dread X games, like knowing how long is good for the amount of content you have and also at the same time being able to fully flesh out that content over the and that's something that this game i in my opinion absolutely nails another thing i want to compliment phil on is like he's not just a lot of other devs too um they're like i don't know what to make especially for a collection because we we don't give a lot of time uh Mm -hmm. so they're just like i'm just gonna copycat a game right Mm-hmm. Um, but like Phil's like, well, no, I want to put my own personal, like my, like my home, like my area, like where I'm from. So it has a personal touch, but he's also taking element, like the best elements of other like gameplay mechanics, uh, and putting it all together. Um, so he's not just copying, he's like, knows how to mix them together in 
you know. <laughs> I'm yeah, not yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, I I wanted to add to the fact when when you talked about like when the game when when you felt the game was finished, it was finished. Like it was the right amount of length. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when when you make a game, you kind of have to like make a list of all the systems and interactions and themes that you want to that you want to use and kind yeah. of think of all the permutations you can do with that explore yeah. those that like you should be done you shouldn't repeat too much yeah i i agree um and i think this is something that people don't that players are not necessarily consciously thinking about or it's something mm-hmm. that isn't discussed yeah. that much which is um that there's always a balance you have to hit with the content and mechanics you have in your game of giving them enough time so that you've explored them, but not so much time that, um, you know, that, that it starts to get repetitive. Um, and that's really difficult to do. Uh, and it, especially in a setting like this, uh, where there's a limited, where there's like limited dev time, it's such a difficult balance to strike because you have to always be thinking about like, okay, how long does this need to be? to, you know, fully get all of this stuff explored. Like Phil mm-hmm. was saying, all the, you know, themes you want to hit, or the, like the, you know, the feels you want to hit, and all the, exploring all the mechanics as much as they need to be to feel satisfying. Um, yeah, yeah. Without really getting hard. it too long. And sometimes it can be a problem where, like, like, I, you know, I don't want to make this about my games, but just as an example, um, in Pony Factory, uh, a game which arguably goes on for too long. Uh, the problem I ended up having was it was like, okay, I only have, like, like I need to, to introduce the big enemy. Um, first, before that, there has to be enough time given to the other two enemies to flesh them out before I introduce the big enemy. But um, then when that's considered, by the time the big enemy is introduced, it's like, okay, now I've kind of run out of interest in terms of, like, the weapon that you're using and the combat flow and the environments. So now I don't have as much time to flesh out this big enemy. So how am I going to solve that? It's like, you know, it's like a a puzzle you're putting together. Um, And it can be very difficult to get that all right. I will say that this really, sorry, really, really quick. Uh, It is important. Like that's why we, we provide QA to the developers, which is something that may surprise people. Like people just think that we just like throw money at devs and they just make something. But no, we have like a lot of interaction back and forth. And this time around, we especially had a lot of QA. And so like we do give a lot of feedback, um, like not me, like Ted and I do, but also uh, streamers, because that's what our focus on in the collections is like if content creators are going to enjoy it. And if it's something that, you know, they can stream uh, pretty well, because not every game is good for streaming. Yeah, as uh, as David is finding out as he's streaming <laughs> on the Nebula <laughs> account. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to really quick say that um, with that feedback loop that we do help him. And that, Carnivores and, and, Two is not a good helped, game yeah. for streaming. What is it? <laughs> Carnivores Two. Carnivores <laughs> Two. Yes, it's a it's a dinosaur hunting game from like the nineties, and it's really fun, but it's not a good streaming game. That stream was an absolute disaster. Oh, that's uh, that's the new one. That's oh, the newer okay. one. That one's actually pretty fun too. The older ones are not on Steam, uh, like all of Action Form stuff, unfortunately. 
the, it's name. the same company that did like Chasm and Cryostasis and oh, those, like, yeah, okay. those games. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I don't want to get derailed for another thirty minutes. So yeah, sorry about that. I just you heard rights issues basically is the the shorty. Yep. Yep. We were talking about uh, length of game, gameplay loop. Was that we were talking about that? And then I was talking about keyway and feedback. I I I was gonna say um, I think that what we're talking when you know something interesting about Phil here that's even more impressive is that he actually learned Unity for this project. What? Yeah, yeah what? this was the worst time. Oh my god! I'm and C sharp. <laughs> yeah, and C sharp. Oh my god! Oh, are you a genius? How is that possible? Feel, yeah, that. <laughs> I'm shocked. Like my mouth. A lot of trial and error. Yeah, <laughs> and to be honest, it, does, it, it is sort of like learning a language in that. Um, yeah. Once you know one sort of uh dev environment in one language it's easier to learn others but that's still very impressive for like yes. within the time limit learning the engine and learning a new programming language and having it come out well oh yeah yeah it was, a, it, it was it definitely was a challenge but i mean i'm used with like most other object oriented languages and unreal engines with kind of just to migrate the workflow that i had and but but it was really hard in the beginning. Like, oh my god, this! <laughs> what did I get myself into? Yeah. Is there a reason that you didn't choose to go with Unreal for uh, for this game, or did you just want to try something new? I told him we couldn't. Oh yeah, <laughs> because uh, yeah, in the past we used different engines, right? And everybody was complaining, like, why do I have to load a game separately from the hub? And we're like, okay, that's fair. Um, and like, there's games like Sucker for Love. That's like he makes in Game Maker, and it works for that. But in the future, we're just like, we need to have everything in the same engine so that we can all launch off the same hub, so people don't have to load it separately. Also, oh, never mind. I shouldn't mention that. Well, I mean, if if we also if if this is useful for other people that want to try to like program things in the future, if you wanted to. If we wanted to port this, it would have to all be in the same engine. So if we ever want to put these on consoles yeah. or anything in the future, you know, having them all in the same engine is good. And, and we just wanted to start if developing for that, you know, just in case we decide to do that in the future. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. not promising anything. No promises yet, but I'm just saying that that was one of the things. Be careful telling people about console versions; they exactly. will never forget it. Yeah. Exactly. Is it going to be Switch? Is it going to be Switch? Is it going to be Switch? Oh my god. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing, the When's thing... Dusk on Switch? What happened to Dusk on Switch? Oh, oh we're god. working on it. I'm sorry. We're, we're well, doing our best. Yeah, porns aren't as easy as people think they are. I don't know. Well, I guess people haven't done game dev, so they, they wouldn't know. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's in. in... So you know, back to back to you know, Phil, how you learned kind of mm-hmm. kind of Unity for this project. You know, I. It's it's interesting because um you know when when David and I uh you know and and, and you know well all of us kind of got together to to talking about what we were going to be doing for this collection and mm-hmm. you know kind of uh, uh, identifying devs and things like that um Phil Phil here was the, was the the one that I kind of like put my kind of cards in for I was like well, let, let's I, I kind of want to try out this guy because I think I really because I, I I discovered you through uh, your previous game uh, Hellpunk Horror. Yes. Um, which I want well, to talk previous about. Previous and continual. It's yeah, still it's, in development, yeah, yeah, right? still in development yeah, game. Hellpunk Horror. And um, basically what I, what you know, I've... Hellpunk Horror is a, a big, way bigger scope of a game. You're trying to make yeah, like a much bigger game with that. 
Um, but what I saw with it was a series of unique, interesting mechanics that like kind of showed a level of attention to detail and a uh, a love of interacting with the world that I was like, okay, if I it, I want to, what I want to do is I want to see what this kid does with some like reasonable, serious constraints because like that level of like kind of both attention to detail and ability to like program mechanics that kind of allow you to interact with the world in various different ways, like the parkour elements, the melee combat, etc. You know, the, the grabbing the shopping carts and kicking them and stuff. There's so many mechanics in Hellpunk Horror. And I was like, okay, but the, but the problem with Hellpunk Horror is that the scope is so big that it's like going to be in development for the next 75,000 years. You know? yeah. So it was like, what, what is this kid going to do with some like, like serious constraints? So, um, you know, and I think it turned out really, really well. So I want um, for, yes. you know, for the benefit of other young game devs out there, um, because you're like, what, 20, right? Yeah, 21. I'm 22 tomorrow, actually. Hey, oh, happy, happy early birthday. Yeah. yeah. Like all the, all the kids like on listening to, to this at home are like, 22 is so old. And all those old people are like, ah, oh, the days when my knees still functioned. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about like what it was like working within that time frame constraints and like you know um, and kind of how you feel like you've you've grown as a as a dev because of this project. Yeah. So I think the if constraints you actually the yeah I definitely have. Um, but I think the constraints have been the most interesting thing about this project because I have worked under constraints earlier. Like most of my games available online or just game jam things mm-hmm. because game jams are how like I learned to make games and how I was like noticed online by people mm-hmm. so like one of the best projects I worked on before was a small game called Wake Up that I made for a during five days on a game jam in a castle and uh, Wait, I mean that was well, the thing uh, that really... I'm sorry? A game jam in a castle? Yeah, yeah. it's pretty it's famous a... Yeah, there, there was a thing like in Sweden where it was they just rented a part of castle and we just stayed there for like five days and made games. That sounds and, amazing. Like, it was amazing, and it, I think it's gonna uh, be again next year. If oh, COVID cool! Is yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So, um, so I I just heard about that uh, thing game jam thing. Was, okay, why not attend? Because I barely knew how to make games before that, and. Uh, like that experience was <laughs> really stressful, but it was also one of the best things I've done before. So I kind of wanted to take that experience to this project as well, because even though five days and 20 days are, I mean, a difference, there's still a lot of like planning to do if you want to be able to make a good game and during a very, very hard constraints. So like, the whole design of the game was made with those constraints in mind. First off, like, I didn't know Unity, so I didn't want to make, like, some super advanced tech stuff. Um, uh, and I also had, had no idea how long, uh, like, the levels and stuff would uh, take to do. So I kind of uh, took some shortcuts. So first off, I, the fact that I used my, my, uh, like, the environment where I live as the environment in the game, like, first of all, it's kind of unique, like, not many, too many games has that, but, like, as a second thing, it was 
really easy to me for me to like find references or like textures. Yeah. I can just go outside and go to a cool place and take some photos and just add it to the game. So that really helped me a lot during development. And also the fact that like all the levels in the game takes place in the same location during different time periods. So that way I could just copy paste the terrain and just change some things up and you know the interesting so, thing is I never noticed that. <laughs> I actually didn't yeah. didn't like make that connection until just now. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, terrain reuse, uh good plan. Because I didn't notice it at all. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it isn't too noticeable, but it was still an idea that I had to just, you know, cut corners in the development mm -hmm. time. But like That's a very good idea. Yeah, that's very mm -hmm. clever. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so so basically, I just tried to like plan the systems and levels and like the whole game to like be to maybe not easier to make, but like be able to do quickly. Mm -hmm. That uh, I have to say that that you like you get that kind of intuitively because, um, but most people don't. Most people want to make just a gigantic map and then just fill it with stuff, right? And they want to make that open world experience, yeah. but they don't know how to design for that open world experience. Like, I feel like there's art and then there's programming and then design is like a third element of game development that is like invisible, but like the one of the most important things because yeah, without sure. that, like you're not, because you want to create that experience. But um, I think the two things here that like, if, if anyone wants to do game dev, uh, the two things that like that I think is going to make you successful, like, continue to be a successful developer in the future is like one you're not afraid of challenge there's a lot of people that like they want to stay in their comfort zone um of like mechanics or styles of gameplay or like themes but like you're willing to do those challenges and you're kind of like nonchalant about it and like everyone i know who's uh, like a really like for, for example maddie who did celeste um the same way as you like just like okay i gotta learn this all right i'm just gonna sit down and figure it out and that's like something a lot of like really good game devs do. So accepting challenges. And number two is planning out things ahead of time. So there's a indie game, the movie. Um, it kind of showcases the developers when they talk about game development. They, they have a sense of like, oh, we're just going to try things and see what works and iterate. And uh, I think John Romero kind of had that same mentality. But uh, I think mm -hmm. it's smarter uh, these days for the modern game dev is to have your approach, which is like you plan out your systems, you plan out your mechanics. You're not just like, okay, this feels right to me. Let me continue with this. Like you just know ahead of time and then you execute it, which does save you a lot of time. And it gives you like a full uh, general picture. Like if anyone does art, um, you want to like lay out the background and get a general idea of what you want. You don't start off with like the details right away. When people start at art, they think about those details and not like mapping out the, like blocking out what's going to work. So, and also like the third thing is like, um, yeah, like reusing assets <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of people don't know how to reuse them in a, an interesting way. Right. That makes people want like, want to go back. So, yeah, mostly the challenge and planning out things ahead of time. That, you know, it would be a really funny video, like a great YouTube video for you to do, David, 
Yeah. It's something but... like called the video called like this is a bench, and you take a bench and asset, <laughs> and then you show all the different ways you can flip it and turn it into other assets until you turn it to like fifty different objects in the environment, scaling up, scaling oh. up. You know that thing you do yeah. where you like you took the the, 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 the the manhole cover and you turned it into the clip and pony factory? <laughs> yeah. It's like no, that's like legitimately really clever. And I think that like that would be useful. And uh and that that, that like title like this is this is a bench and then all the different permutations very clickable that's a very clickable content very smooth jim, that would be pretty fun yeah jim sterling did that did he yeah well i mean he's not a game dev but he was like i'm so sick of seeing this spider asset and all of these games i you know i will pay somebody to make a better spider like take this asset and recreate it and he got like hundreds of submissions of like recreating this asset and then he showed it uh in a video the winners and he was just like blown away with all the different ways that you can recreate this asset. And he's just like, <laughs> why do developers just pop it in there? Why can't you like it? So. Because it takes um, time. Is the <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> um, uh, really quick to Phil, uh, this is the last question. Like I personally want to ask you, like I really wanted to ask you is like, now that you've worked on your, a bigger commercial game and then now you've worked the collection game, what have you learned from Dreddix collection that you're going to apply to help on core? Okay, so I actually learned a lot. Like, first off, to work in, a, in another game engine and uh, a different language did, like, change my perspective a bit on things, like on how to construct, like, systems and, like, relations and objects and stuff. But also, like, I think one of the bigger things I learned is, like, how to adapt to, like, to make a more focused experience. Like, for example, when I made this game, I... I had a special approach when making puzzles, for example, that I wanted a puzzle to have a theme. I wanted the, to have a very specific set of interactions, and I wanted like the result of the puzzle to play in with the theme. So <laughs> there's a lot of unnecessary thought behind some of the puzzles, but it kind of just dies through anyway. And uh, that sort of process is something I want to work a bit more with. You know, have a lot of thought behind something before putting it in. And making sure that things play together to make like a a clear vision of the game, mm -hmm. or for that part of the game. And uh, like to be honest, just working with a really good team of developers is kind of just inspirational in a way. Like you see what other people do and see how other people work, and there's a lot of like small details that you just pick up on. Can you give more specifics? So, um, <laughs> I'm so bad at specifics, but I'm, uh, uh, What's the problem that you solved? Okay, so, one thing was, for example, um, there was a part of the game that just, a few people had, uh, for example, uh, the combat of the game has this, Mechanic, as I as I told before, where like you fire, when you shoot a ghost, and then you run away, to to have this like dynamic in a combat, and like this is kind of it wasn't communicated too well in the beginning, like, mm -hmm. and uh, it's not something that just comes intuitively to everyone. So I noticed at some of the earlier like QA testing that some people like took a photo of the ghost and they're like, ah, oh, they're too fast and kept dying and uh, 
that really taught me how to like how valuable uh, quality assurance is and like playtesting and making sure that people like get the idea of the game and if they don't you have to like do small adjustments to the game to make sure that they do because if you want to do something new in a game it's people won't know how it works before i mean they aren't you <laughs> they don't know what i thought when making a game so mm-hmm. i really learned some new ways to just like slightly nudge player in the right direction like uh, for example the first combat account a uh, proper com- combat encounter in the game has like one ghost that spawns before all the other ghosts you kind of like get you on your toes and flush you into the arena and then i just made sure that every ghost placement was in a way that made you like move and use the map and try out the traversal system so like force you into the playstyle that that the game is supposed to have so that was really valuable yeah i mean i, I would say that when players play it they'll, they'll definitely like what i was really impressed with was how easily i figured out how to interact with and move around the world there were a couple parts where it was like you know a little bit like okay now i had to do a little bit of exploration to figure out which way to go um but especially like the first few puzzles i felt were really like as long as i was paying attention to the environment really really intuitive um so like you know kind of how do you what you were saying like you know leading leading the player like what what kind of practical advice do you have for like how people can do that so to be honest, I think just kind of like I think you can apply some uses of like filmmaking and photography and stuff, like making sure to have like okay, maybe maybe not that super relevant, but there are like ways to lead the lead the attention of the player. Like the most classical use is probably to place like a light where you're supposed to go. Oh, yeah. So, like, uh, you can do that in more subtle ways as well. Like, for example, the first arena where you fight ghosts in the game, it forces you to move around. And that means you've probably seen most of the level before you need to like solve the first puzzle there. So you yeah. have kind of a sense already of the place. And uh, when you notice like this this um, shelf has is open and you can like, you notice there's a thing there. And that will lead, it will like remind you of another thing you saw when running around. And like, I think the best plan is just to have some other reason beyond like the goal or puzzle or whatever to naturally lead the player to like notice the details. Yes. Good things to do. <laughs> um, no, I mean, because I'm trying, sorry, I'm just trying to think about like how I'm going to formulate. Uh, the question without like spoiling anything because you have a really good use of like environmental puzzles and you know what this is actually you know this is interesting because i think that um like environmental puzzles are relatively hard to do because like sometimes players like don't look up you know like just in general so like how do you in your mind like go about like designing environmental puzzles without making like while still making them accessible okay so that was probably the hardest part of this whole game making experience because not not only do I want to make puzzles that kind of make sense in the time period and the environments but they should also be as you said accessible and also be fun and uh, it kind of just 
I did the same thing when uh, when making that game in the in the castle. <laughs> I kind of just went about and uh, tried to make lists of interactions. Like, for example, in in this game, the player can in, in have a couple of interactions. They can move, they can jump, they can take a photo, and they can press stuff. Mm -hmm. So basically, I just try to have some fun with the types of interactions that you can do, and uh, kind of think about what what um, uh, systems they could interact with. So I think designing puzzles specifically is so much easier when you have like a list of like possible things that could be interesting, like. For example, when I research like 1950s technology and mm. and uh, hydroelectric power plants, I think I thought about like power. I had like uh, and then some stuff in mind related to that, like fuses. You can have generators, that kind of stuff, and then kind of just spin off a branch out from those core ideas. Like, what can we do? For example, one of the puzzles in the game. I don't think it's too big of a spoiler to say that one of the first puzzles in the game is a generator that doesn't want to start. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not going to spoil how to solve the puzzle, but like it just, that, that, that was a mix between how you would start a generator in real life and then adding in one of those extra interactions just to kind of make the, the player think outside the box and mm -hmm. bring some more dimensions of interaction in it. So, for example, that puzzle is a mix between a sequence puzzle and uh, an extra in player interaction. Yeah, and, uh, and that, that's actually one of my favorites uh, in, in actually the whole collection, I would say, is that, David, I think you'll agree with me on that, that that's like one of the yeah. most, more clever puzzles we've seen in general. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's great. <laughs> but actually, you know, that actually brings, um, this is actually a really good point, I think, especially for people that are just getting started or, um, you know, still new to, to game design. Um, and this is something that I went through a lot when I was making uh, the puzzles for the second DreadX collection, is uh, you'll come up with a puzzle, right? And you'll be like, oh, it's so clever and I love it. And then you'll get into, like, playtesting and, like, no one can figure it out, you know? Yes. <laughs> and, and, like, you know, so, so then it's, like, this disheartening of, like, oh, it was so clever, why aren't people getting it? And then, like, trying to kind of find a solution that will maintain the integrity of the puzzle and your artistic vision, but still like make it like, you know, like in, in real human logic, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I just kind of was, 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 was curious, like, you know, Phil, did you have any moments like that in this? Did you have any moments where you put together something like this is so clever and then you had to like figure out how to make it more accessible? Like, you know, how, how do you go about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, that that first puzzle that puzzle I just talked about is one example. Like there there there's a there were several like iterations of just adding some small clues to make to make it a bit more noticeable. But I think when making like specifically this type of like environmental puzzles, I think the best thing is to just think of different systems in a very abstract way. Like what is the most simple abstract way of um, describing the interactions and like the the parameters in the puzzle and uh, then kind of doing something fun with it and when uh, you kind of 
then go back to the details like the real world the real world uh, specifics of the puzzle you're making and kind of want to take like the things that people intuitively know about that for example there's a puzzle later in the game where you move cogs and that was one of the harder puzzles to get right because in my mind it was super easy <laughs> but then uh, when i realized people playing it was like this isn't super easy like it doesn't make sense that some of the stuff doesn't make sense so for that puzzle for example i just added some small details and colors just to make it more apparent for the player like what could be interacted with and what couldn't so <laughs> Yeah, you probably have to exaggerate a bit on like the the interactive parts or like the the solution or like the parts of the solution just to make it a bit more accessible. That's a good way to put it. Exaggerate a bit. I I, I yeah. haven't heard it put that way before. That's a good way to put it. That is a good way to put it. Because then you're go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say that like we <laughs> you don't you just don't know this like I don't know people especially now with COVID are making games like in their box like in their in their own space right and so they're making games for themselves and it's just too hard to know like be objective enough to know exactly what other people are thinking and yeah. you know Ted David and I have played a lot of games and we're like wow this is really cool idea there, there there's things here like we like it, but it needs more QA testing. It needs more eyeballs on this before it's released because people's first impressions are just so important. And so, you know, I don't know. This is funny for David because David likes Jake, jank, and it's hard to. <laughs> to... <laughs> uh, well, I yeah. like mm -hmm. I like jank, but I know, uh, you know, there's there's sometimes a difference between you have to recognize the difference between what you enjoy as a player and what you know you can get away with as a developer. Precisely. <laughs> I watch a shitload of bad found footage movies. And I also understand that I don't want to put everything in those shit found footage movies into the stories that I write. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, but I also think that, you know, especially when you're looking at like uh, uh, certain games with certain levels of jank, um, there's like the jank that I think that we can learn from and the jank that I believe we should unlearn from, if, if that <laughs> makes sense. Like Cruelty yeah. Squad, as jank as it is, there's a under, there's a, uh, there's a certain through line of a, of an ethos to the game that makes it so that it kind of makes its own kind of twisted, bizarre sense. Whereas there's a lot of jank out there that's just like, unfinished slash bad games and being able to like tap into what makes one thing interesting while making something similar bad is I, I think a useful kind of mental exercise for any developer mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it's all about the developer's intention and what they want out of it like i i just don't like it when developers are insincere and they're like they're like oh i'm trying to make a serious game here i'm trying to be to make a commercial experience and I'm like, no, you're not. Like, you took so many shortcuts with your development and with your design. Because, uh, like, like Phil's talking about environment design. He's talking about puzzle design. And, of course, you have to have UI as well. Uh, so it's like all of those different things need different kinds of designs. And, like, I just don't like it when developers are insincere about what their intentions are. Um, yeah. And, and they work really hard. Uh, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not saying that. But 
when you played so many games, you just get a feel for like, like how could they miss this, you know? Yeah, no, most definitely. So, uh, you know, uh, Phil, why don't you, uh, okay. This is, I, I, I want to, <laughs> can I ask my silly ghost questions now? Do it. We've asked a lot of serious questions. Cause like, what, like, you, you said you based it off of like, you know, okay. First off, why are both of your games based in malls? Do you have something against haunted malls? Are you like <laughs> haunted malls? And, like, and, like, and also, that wasn't how, even, like the plan. <laughs> well, you know, now you get it some kind of subconscious shit. Maybe the first movie yeah. I ever saw was Dawn of the Dead. Uh, yeah, it, it, it has to be subconscious. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, but uh, also, like, what is the ghost? What is the ghost culture of Sweden? Ooh, so, like, shit. That's a really interesting question because there is a lot of like ghost stories and uh, folklore here. Like ghosts specifically have like a, has had a large culture cultural like importance. And like I've tried to bring a lot of that into the game. So I I've used like real ghost stories as, as I don't know how real they are but like ghost stories I've heard about before and read about I, I, I did a lot of research for this game I got some really old books on folklore and <laughs> made sure to read through them just to find good references and uh, I think some very interesting looking enemies <laughs> yeah definitely so like I've always been interested in folklore and uh always listened very patiently to these stories. And uh, I think the, th the thing that makes a really good ghost story, like a ghost story specifically, is that it's less about some spooky and spooky unknowable entity and more about like the human, like tragedy and trauma and feeling like the empathy. So I kind of try to bring a, a bit of that sensibility into the game. And like in the game, you can also unlock like lore entries and read about like the the real ghost stories. And uh, like pretty much all of the ghosts in the game is like more of a, like a result of a human or a societal issue, mm. or some sort of like specific tragedy or something to make it like just a bit deeper and uh, make like the even though the ghosts are the antagonists of the game, they're all they're a bit more like maybe like metaphorical in nature, maybe more like um uh, yeah met a metaphor, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's a lot of that in like folklore overall, like all all over the world. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring that into the game. To, to make it a bit more emotional and bring a bit, like, depth into the story. Now I want to go to Sweden. Like, <laughs> you should. It's, it's yeah. kind of a... I, I've, I've really learned to appreciate, like, where I live right now a bit more when working on this project and when talking to you and the other developers. <laughs> it's... Yeah, there's a whole of um, people that uh, were born in, in a place with like a real strong um, 
history and culture behind well not history but like a real strong cultural sense behind it mm-hmm. i get this uh playing mundan also which is amazing and everyone should play it mm-hmm. uh but there's just it is just so steeped in this really unique interesting uh different cultural feel uh from you know anything i'm because i'm just i'm i'm just uh from northwest pennsylvania so it's like there's there's not really anything there <laughs> um so it's always really interesting to me to see games that have not so just just an interesting and different vibe to like the sense of uh the atmosphere and the everyday existence i i'm from ohio which is not too far and we have a ton of this similar like ghost culture there's a yeah. lot of like haunted tours of ohio athens ohio it's like there's a lot of like movies um and yeah there's a lot of like blair witch kind of stories here a lot of like witchcraft in the in the hills um <laughs> so hockey hills which is south of ohio um and i just want to say really quick one of my one of my favorite horror movies of all time is called the ritual and that also yeah, takes place in sweden. yeah it's yeah. amazing yeah and like that when i think of sweden horror that's what i think of well you know one of the most famous ghosts of all time is scandinavian and uh but that led to the the death of the king. I'm trying to make a Hamlet joke. I've been trying to figure out how to make a Hamlet joke because <laughs> the ghost of Hamlet's dad this whole time, and then I realized I thought Denmark was the capital of Sweden. Like this whole conversation <laughs> until I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, Ted. it's a different country." Oh, oh Ted. my goodness! <laughs> I thought I had played enough Empire Ted. Total War to realize the difference between Denmark and Sweden, but apparently I well, hadn't. well, Ted, Ted, if it makes you feel any better, the real answer is. The most famous ghost has no place of origin. It's in all of our hearts. Talking about the Holy Ghost, of course. Oh, Thanks, boy. Jesse. And the Father and Son. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. It's uh, always good to get your perspective on things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like, okay, so one of the, the, the reasons I wanted to, to ask about the ghost culture thing is, yes, I think that there's always, like, local ghost culture and things like that. But there's, like, a uniquely American phenomenon of, like, ghost shows and like famous haunted locations is there that similar tradition in sweden of like amateur ghost hunters going to graveyards and like different locations and doing seances and stuff like i think the ghost culture here is more about like mediums and trying to communicate with the ghosts there's this like famous like tv series that i think was ran for like 15 years or something i mean new episodes like I, i think there must have been in like half of every home in sweden i think just like looking for ghosts so it's it's more of the like medium part of the the ghost hmm. story thing, and there's less of the like haunted locations and that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Which, I mean, I I really like the kind of haunted location that sort of <laughs> that sort of culture. So, but um, I think that's also part of the the the, the society in Sweden because if. Like, we don't have that many, like, cool, abandoned, spooky houses. Like, oh, true. Partially, I think yeah. it, partially, I think, is because we use a lot of wood when building stuff, and wood build uh, wood structures tend to burn down. Mm-hmm. Uh... So there's not too much old. I mean, we have a few castles, like medieval castles, and they have, like, 47 ghosts. But like uh, beyond that, there aren't too many like specific locations, like these famous haunted houses. And even if there is like a more modern place, uh, like 
they tend to like either re rebuild it into something totally different, like a new art complex or something, or they just like demolish it. So there aren't too many like these abandoned, cool, spooky haunted locations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, another thing I think is interesting about Sweden, uh, well, maybe this is wrong. I don't know. But I've heard uh, from people who live there that you guys put like little lights like on your windowsills. Is that true? Like little lamps? I don't know. It's it's not something I've heard oh. too much about. Like I, 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 I recognize it, but it's not something I... It, it might be a regional thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I heard that like... Uh, People expect you, <laughs> if you live in certain areas, uh, to find your house. There's like in some areas they don't have like a lot of lights, so people put their own lights on the windows to like light up like where their home is. Oh, I can imagine that's so, cool. interesting. And, like if it's like snowy and like you need to like if someone gets lost, they can always find your home. That'd be cool. And it gets dark early. Um, <laughs> yeah, how long is it during nighttime in Sweden? Does it ever? Is there ever sunshine now at this time of year? Or is that how does that work? Like, like this time of year, it's it's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Like, but but it, it's very it's very seasonal. Like, especially mm-hmm. in the most northern parts of Sweden, like we be, there in in the summer, there's daylight all 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 day. <laughs> 24 hours a day of daylight, like in the northern parts of Sweden. And in the winter, it's basically no daylight. Yeah, because wow. like northern Sweden is like almost in the Arctic Circle, right? Like it's, it's real cold. Yeah. yeah, it is. But like so Sweden is a very long con- country as well. So yeah. there's... Oh. Where I live, it's a bit more normal. Gotcha. <laughs> so it's like, it, okay, so I'm looking at the map right now, and you got Sweden, and it's like kind of big in the middle. And then Norway... It looks like, you know, when your dog sleeps with you and it just, like, stretches out super far and it just takes up, like, way too much of the bed? That is what Norway's <laughs> borders look like. Because it's, like, it's just, like, it's yeah. just region all the way north. Like, what's it even doing up there? I think most yeah. Sweden feel that way also. <laughs> You're probably right, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it just, like, kind of extends all the way over on the north where all the rigid, frigid stuff is. So, I mean, who wants to live up in... Tromso. Was that Norway? Norwegian city Tromso? Looks like I'm just looking at Google Maps right now. Some people like the cold. I actually enjoy the cold. I don't get cold very easily. I have a, a lot of a lot of like nerve damage, so I, I I can like sense cold, but it doesn't really bother me. So I'd be good in in the Scandinavian country. Some people like the fjords. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is like beautiful nature up there. So. In, Some uh, people in like. Sweden? Yeah, like yeah, the, there is a very specific type, especially the more north north you go. Mm-hmm. Where, where did you say you were from again? So I'm from uh, Värmland. It's kind of in the central Sweden, like uh, mm. right at the border of Norway, like mm-hmm. to the west of like Stockholm, but on the other side of the country, pretty much. Would you like to live in a city, or are you fine where you are? I don't know. I like I've never lived in a larger city. I'm I'm thinking of moving, but we'll see how much I like that. <laughs> yeah, you get plenty. Uh, of yeah, time. yeah, I'm I'm planning on moving like pretty soon. So I guess this game is kind of a farewell to where I've grown up, perhaps. Oh, huh. Where are you moving to? Um, I'm not sure. It depends on where I find work and. <laughs> 
stuff. <laughs> it depends on where life takes you. Yeah, pretty much. I feel that. So where? What is? A, mm-hmm. I was gonna say there's a lot of game studios in Sweden. <laughs> so yeah, there are. <laughs> Go ahead, Ted. No, pretty much done from here, though. Where is uh? So where where are you planning? Like, what is what is what are your plans for future game development? What is it? What is your what is your ideal? What do you want to do with philosophical so games? The, 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 the ideal situation would be to for Hellpunk to go really well, so I can just make games as a living. Because I'm I'm not sure I really want would want to work on like a big studio. Like I'm, it's it's the creative part that kind of drives me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. That's that's so, me also. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. If if I could get into sort of Dave situation, you know, that would be the dream. <laughs> the Dave situation. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're but you're it, on your way. Yeah, I hope I am. It feels like that. I mean, just the fact of getting into this collection has been like pretty much the coolest thing ever. Yay! <laughs> that makes us. I will say this: like Ted was earlier talking about like all these different design elements in Hellpunk Horror. Um, last year we did a showcase, and I remember contacting you to get your trailer in that showcase. Um, or maybe you submitted. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when I was looking at your trailer, I didn't see any of that. Like, I just saw you, like, bashing a bunch of monsters and stuff. So, yeah, I'd like to see, like, more... Uh, um, yeah, that's why I was surprised with this game, because it just felt so different. So, I can't wait to see, like, the different variety of, like, game dev, game dev styles you show. Yeah, like, even even though both are, like, first-person horror games, like, mm-hmm. this game and Hellpunk are very different. Mm-hmm. But, like, I still try to have my signature game dev uh, style of, like, doing some mm-hmm. unique stuff, having fun with systems, and trying cool things. <laughs> I think every dev should have that, like, a, a signature style, so that when people play the games, they, they're like, oh, yeah, this is a Szymanski game. Like, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do I have a signature uh... style? I don't no, you don't. Like, but okay. people think you do. People assume you do. Okay. <laughs> like jank. <laughs> jank. <laughs> Russian jank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I've. I don't feel that I have, as of yet, achieved a uh, proper, pr- proper Slav clunk in any of my games. <laughs> I am not. I am not Slav enough. Well, am, that's a goal to strive for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will so, say, yeah, Mr. Pink is definitely that. He's got that a nail. Little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to talk to him on the pod about his, <laughs> yeah. his stuff. He's That'll a be fun. man. Um, by the way, fun little tangent here uh, that I'm sure our listeners will enjoy. Uh, we have started to get... Uh, the, the company has now grown to the point where we have started to get a lot of scam pitches and scam, uh, scam? emails. Scam Whoa. stuff, yeah, like weird weirdos coming to us trying to, to scam us. Mostly um, me. <laughs> but uh, because our development structure is so weird and so many devs are listed, I will get uh, scam emails thinking that we are named different things other than what we are. Uh, so I am getting emails right now asking if we, if we, as the entity known as Torpal Duke, would like to be represented <laughs> by any of these number of uh, indie PR companies. Uh, uh, they, 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 and all the emails are like, "Dear Torpal Duke," and I'm like, "Thanks, it's not me, but <laughs> that's amazing." Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. it's pretty fun. The so, uh, okay. 
Phil, just be prepared Yo. that you might get emails for any number of the people that are on the collection uh, addresses <laughs> to you in the future. Who knows? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll be prepared. We all gotta eat. I, th- I think it's because uh, the support email on the collection links directly to me. So if people are reaching out to like get, basically I'm guessing the scam email just uses whatever the support is. And there's probably some algorithm that just takes Mm -hmm. the developer's name. And because we list like 20 developers, maybe that was just the one that got added to that database for whatever reason, just randomly. Maybe it was the first one that was listed on that collection. (laughs) Well, maybe it's because it's listed on all the collections. Oh shit. Maybe that's it. To be, to be honest, I don't, I don't really get how some of these people find your email at all. Because, like, for example, my, like, professional email, I've barely shared at all. Like, you should. I shared it once at, like, a, a, like, a game convention event. I had business cards. And, like, for some reason, a lot of people contact me anyway on the mail. I, I don't have any idea how they got the address. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's somebody... just magic. Yeah, go ahead. So Ted and I, like, well, mostly I have to hand out keys to people. And it's just so frustrating when people have no email or no way to contact them. Like, their their DMs are closed. They have no email. They don't have a website. Like, uh, dude, like, not you, but, like, people in general, like, please put your emails in the bio. Like, for anyone who does any PR or marketing, like, we have to contact people. And, like, if you make it, like, too hard to contact you, then I can't give opportunities to people. You know, like, for example, like, how do you get into a collection? It's like, um, Ted contacts you for the collection. You don't go to Ted. Ted goes to you. Like, (laughs) that's how you get on a collection. Chuck Norris. Yes. (laughs) Ted Norris. Ted or Chuck Norris. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's, it is fun because I feel like so many devs, you know, we've, we've kind of like brought up with these collections, uh, like, you know, James Rag, a lovely hell place or, uh, Torpal Duke or, you know, and I, it's always, I always feel like on every collection, um, I will bring in a wild card that usually uh, uh, people are like, are you sure about this one? And, um, you know, uh, Except for this collection where I brought in the wild card. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that um, I would say that, like, you know, uh, despite uh, his, his level of weirdness, he's relatively established. And like, you know, with, with Phil over here, you know, only one game to his name, not released yet, you know, and, uh, but, you know, for, I, I think that a lot of what we try to do with, with the Dread XP is not only bring the best of, like, you know, kind of indie as we see it, but also to try to cultivate new talent, you know, and, yeah. and we always want to at least have one developer with each collection that is like, this is what we believe we're cultivating new talent with this. This is our new mm-hmm. rising yeah. star, you know? I know what yeah. I, yeah, I know that's, that's what I wanted to do with, uh, least some of the picks not all the picks like you know kira is obviously very well established yes but some other picks where it was like i think this person has potential and isn't really well known but i like their stuff so i want to i want to try and give them a chance to get better known yeah yeah exactly and that like means a lot to like us as well like us more like it's 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 probably because it's so hard to break out like it's so hard to especially as like a solo horror developer it's just really hard to break through that uh that initial barrier of like you need people to know about you to care what you're making but to get people to know about you they need to care what you're making 
it's yeah. like yeah it's so difficult so and i remember how um really frustrating and demoralizing that is uh because game dev is hard enough um even if like like if you're making something and you know by the time i'm done with this i'll still i'll have an audience i can sell it to like that it's still you know game dev is still frustrating enough and difficult enough when it's that let alone when you're like oh i might spend several years on this project or like a year on this project and literally no one will care and it's it's just a roulette wheel basically yeah that's why i got into marketing was for that exact reason like i was uh joining this like game dev community i had just gone to art school and so i'd learn all this 3d modeling i wanted to do environmental art and then there were some artists around and a ton of programmers and like, but zero people knew how to sell a game. So I was like, okay, I'll just figure this out. And then 10 years later, here I am. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, marketing is so important. And that's why like, I want to like give that <laughs> gift <laughs> to other developers <laughs> of how to do that. Cause it's so difficult. That's what like, honestly, like Dave Oshry is a, <laughs> he's just really good for new blood at that. Oh, yeah, he yeah, he's style. frustratingly good at it. <laughs> he makes it look like it's just an accident. Um, yeah, it's not. So it's it's all the more irritating when it's just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I just made this work. <laughs> it's like, oh, Dave, <laughs> the rest of us have to work at this, you know. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is really frustrating. But uh, I mean, it's a and but only what it works for him doesn't work for other people. So, like, when he gives yeah. advice, like, I just, like, chuckle to myself because his advice works for Dave. <laughs> <laughs> if I did it, it would be strange, like, coming up with, like, new do- domain names or whatever for all the different games. Like, wehatemoney.com. Mm-hmm. Like, I, if we if DreadXP started saying we hate money, people would be like, this is copying off New Blood. It's like, yep. <laughs> if we started saying we hate money, people would be like, why aren't your games free like the Haunted PS1? Exactly. Nothing against Hans oh Bielsen, by the way. I love Brogan and all that team over there. So, you know, but just we're saying. Not- yeah, they're a community. They can't. They can't sell the games. Like they. They don't have the infrastructure, um, or like, and they don't want to either. <laughs> to have to like sell the the haunted PS One disc. Um, but I hope people buy. You know, not buy the game, but uh, download the game and support them. Join that community for sure. But like, yeah, we're just very different. And we're also not New Blood either. <laughs> Uh, Dave's like, make bigger games, make bigger games. And we're like, we're doing it, Dave. We've already announced it. <laughs> so, yeah, Dave's like, what is this collection stuff? So, yeah, we're, we're different than anyone else. I think yeah. that's the best tactic, to be honest. Different. Yeah. Yeah, carving out your own space. Is, um, for anything, really. Thing. Same with, you know, the sort of, or at least that's, I mean, different people have different approaches to it. I always like, uh, personally, I like trying to make stuff that's like not, well, I want to say not like anything else, because there's obviously a lot of inspirations I take from other stuff when I make games, but I like trying to make stuff that, you know, is going to be interesting because it's a bit different mm-hmm. um, and not trying to jump on trends. Other people yeah. have different approaches. Um, just depends on the person yeah if anyone tried to make fall guys right now they would not do well probably because fall guys is already fall guys and people would rather play fall guys than the copy right, of yeah. It. yeah yeah most definitely i think that's one of the like harder things with indie dev and like this kind of development uh in in general 
because you often want to copy other games. Like, yeah. I like that game and I like that game. Let's put them together and make a similar yeah. game. Like, of course, I, I don't think there are any, like, completely original ideas that you get everything from somewhere. But you can, like, choose to get be inspired by different things. Like, for example, this my game was inspired by a lot of photography and, like, local stuff and not too much from games, and I think... Mm-hmm. It is, it is pretty funny, though, that you haven't played Fatal Frame before, because, like, yeah. if, if I did not know that, I would never believe that, you know? <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, like, I know that you have, like, I know that you haven't, and I know that you have no reason to lie about it, so it's like, it's like, yeah, I, I just, it's so funny, though, because they're so, so similar. <laughs> not that that's a bad, not that that's a bad thing, it's a really good game. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> I actually haven't played Fatal Frame either. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it being played. I have not played it personally, though. It's well, a lot more played... conventional than you'd think. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, now that you play Phil's game, you have to. Yeah. You should stream it. It's a really good Yeah, game, and I'll add it to the good. giant yeah. list of games uh, that I should stream. I mean, it, it even comes complete with, like, different film types, aka different ammo types that, like, you know, deal extra damage to different ghosts. It's like, it's, it's basically a shooter. Mm-hmm. It's a It's a fun one. I, I very much I still I still like it and then uh, I think that uh, a, a more recent game tried to do something similar what was it Dread Out Dread Out yeah, yeah that's what that was I couldn't ever too. finish that game that Scissor Boss uh, I can never get past it oh yeah gosh it's been a while since I played Dread Out but yeah mm-hmm. great uh, another another fun little indie horror game there I think that was from it was a sequel wasn't uh, there yes Dread I think Out it's too. like Indonesia yeah. It was uh, uh, not as good. good. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it didn't didn't really benefit from the open world treatment. Oh, okay. Few oh, horror well. games do. Yeah, I can't yeah. think of any good horror games that are open world. That's not like a uh, multiplayer game. Evil Within Two. Evil Within Two was not as good as the Evil Within One. So really, I uh, most people I, liked it better from what I heard. I haven't played either though. Really? Yet. I've, yeah. Uh, Evil Within Two makes more s- Evil Within Two makes more sense and is a bigger game. You know, it's an open world, more open world game. Um, I, I I much prefer Evil Within One's more tight narrative, like a more tight structure. Gotcha. Anyways, I really like those games, though. You know what? It's interesting. Um, if you play Evil Within One, David, uh, and because we were talking about different cultures and um how they uh you know i was asking about sweden's ghost culture and like how that influences his design philosophy um Mm -hmm. evil within one uh the main story is written by the japanese studio whereas the dlc was written by uh an american studio and the difference in the storytelling and kind of the direction they go with with the with the story is like night and day in terms of like kind of the the Japanese one is like way more vague and incomprehensible and much more like esoteric. Whereas the American one is like, here's the plot. Here's kind of like what is happening. Um, mm-hmm. And I know people that really prefer one over the other. I personally prefer the, uh, 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 the American DLC story. Um, but I know a lot of people that prefer the other one. And uh, you know, with the evil within two, I feel like uh, having played the DLC for evil within one, I can see where they decided to take the storytelling direction of the evil within within two and you know i always think it's interesting when cultures have different ways of kind of like portraying stories and then how that leads to 
kind of a synthesis of a new narrative in the third through the fusing of those two. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just, I just find that stuff fun. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting to when it's like like uh, Resident Evil Seven is a good example too. It's like first you know Western written Resident Evil game, and boy, you can tell it's just yeah. a completely different yeah. take on things, um, like well, story wise than any of the other games. Actually, that's a funny point, too, because the Resident Evil 7 was actually... Uh, two different teams worked on the story for that. One team worked... Uh, the, the, the American team worked on most of it, but the Japanese team actually did work on a small part of the main campaign. And oh, really? You, you can tell because the tone completely shifts in that part, and can you guess what it is? Um, <laughs> no, what part? So the part of the boat. Oh, no. Uh... <laughs> As okay. soon as I said it and it clicked in your brain, you're like, oh, that did feel like a completely different game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That or at was least what I played. I, I honestly haven't finished Resident Evil 7. I've tried twice. Um, Dude, you but have. I played, a, I, I played a bit of the boat and I was, that was where I stopped the first time. You need to play it so that you can then play the DLC. So you can play End of Zoe DLC, where you play as... I've heard... Yeah, I've heard the character you play in that is very much my sort of thing. <laughs> you, you play as Hobo Johnson at, at Oh, that Hunter. one is amazing. Yeah. He... At long last, they gave us what we want, a Resident Evil where you just punch the shit out of zombies. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's... I do. I do want to try the DLC at some point. Yeah, you, especially you, that one. It sounds like that's exactly the sort of thing that I would find hilarious and amazing. You Batista, you Batista bomb Swamp Thing's eyeballs so hard, so hard that his eyeballs fly out. Like, yeah, yeah, that's not wow. amazing. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's like all of the rest of the Resident Evil universe is like we need to get this biological weapon, blah blah blah. This counter agent, he's like, I just got my fists, and he works. It works fine. Like everyone else is overreacting. <laughs> That's the that's okay. I I've never understood the Resident Evil series because it's like why are these biological monsters more effective than just guns? Because they aren't more effective than just guns. Because I'm just playing a guy with a gun and I killed like seven thousand zombies. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but Resident Evil has made like more money than like God, and like there's it's like an insanely successful franchise, and uh, you know it's but you know I I, I am curious, Phil. You know, being uh forty seven years younger than me. What horror <laughs> franchises are, uh, like, what horror franchises did you grow up on? Like, what is, when you think of the horror games that you want to emulate, right? Like, you know, I had Resident Evil growing up. I had The Silent Hills and things like that. What is, what is, what is, like, and without being, you know, trying to appeal to us old older people, you know, because you got to say that you're, like, inspired by Silent Hill so that everyone thinks you're legit. But like, legitimately, like, what is what are the horror franchises that you know you played growing up, and then you're like, I kind of want to make something in that vein. To be honest, I played a lot of Resident Evil. Like, okay. I, I I love the Resident Evil games, but it's Which not ones? something I want. To. Which ones I growing up did you play? Were you going back and playing the old ones, or was it like? I I, I actually started with the first one. Really? Okay. The I'm, original first I'm, one or the remake? The remake. Then I never played. That's the, one of the best games third. ever made. That's a good yeah, choice. I agree. So I just played the remake and then the fourth. Okay, also one of the best games ever made, so a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> you have so very I, good I, taste, sir. I've played those two a lot. I just, mm-hmm. I, I, for example, I played through four again when making Axis Mundi, <laughs> oh, <laughs> even though okay. they're totally different. Yeah. But yeah. to be honest, 
I haven't had really had this like franchise that I've followed specifically, like in at least not in games. Um, if like there was more of these like individual horror games just popping up, like playing Amnesia, for example, or mm-hmm. like when I grew up, the like indie stuff was going on. So there was a lot of you know individual indie horror games and like <laughs> slender the eight pages and that kind yeah. of stuff. <laughs> but like during like 2013, 2014 indie horror boom. Yeah, but like I I don't want to emulate that. <laughs> <laughs> like, to be honest, I like th- that was the stuff that got me into playing horror games. But then I just returned and played like Resident Evil and Silent Hill. Definitely good stuff. tradition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's you know what's funny though. I was you know you're saying that that your pipeline was like Resident Evil the 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 remake to uh, Resident Evil Four. I think I had the exact same pipeline with Resident Evil. Like when I was a kid, I think my first Resident Evil game was Resident Evil on the GameCube, and then Resident Evil the the, the Resident Evil One remake, and then Resident Evil Four. And um, I think they came out right after each other. Yeah, well. they were they were pretty close to each other, like state wise. Um, at least within the same few years, uh, same console generation. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, I think it's cool to to see that 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 like has also translated to someone that's like, you know, uh, t- you're ten years younger than me, not forty. I was being funny, but like, <laughs> that's a significant period of time. That, you know, these there's some that's that that definitely tells us something about the design of those old games that definitely holds up and it's interesting too because i remember when resident evil 4 came out people were like this isn't even resident evil 1 this is blasphemy and to see <laughs> later generations playing both and enjoying both for what they are i think mm-hmm. is 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 you know poetic in a way mm-hmm. yeah and i i think age benefits horror games better than other genres because yeah. the horror can benefit from like clunkiness and bad graphics Yes, huh, you might be right. Yeah, it's so yeah. interesting because it's so contrary to what the design philosophy was for a really long time with horror. Because for a while there with horror, it was all about trying to get the most realistic graphics because that's what's spooky. But then you know, I think really, uh, uh, you know, what you're saying now is that there's so many horror games that are embracing that older style. it really now now that you mention it it it, it kind of shows why the market the the horror market in general is so kind of like up for this shake-up with indie horror as opposed to the the big mainstream horror titles looking so can i uh yeah sorry can i chime in yeah so like i will just say the entire game industry was obsessed with graphics for a long time it was you know always about like better computers and uh realistic like if you look at articles from like the early 2000s, uh, even the Doom games. Um, they're like most realistic graphics and uh, like it takes yeah. all those technical aspects. You go to like, you watch the old versions of the Game Awards, same thing. That's what people focused on was like th- those numbers <laughs> and yeah. graphics cards and stuff like that. Where like movies, yeah, they were like, that's not something people cared about. They cared about story, they cared about narrative, uh, they cared about the director. And so the games are starting like, are so widespread now but they don't have to worry about that anymore because people are like mobile games look terrible and they're all stylized and then like look at fortnite fortnite's completely stylized and it makes like for like fall guys is completely stylized and uh among us so like now that's the norm um, yeah. um 
because of all the variety. So it's like it's something that it was the most important thing, not just with horror, but like every genre. Uh, even like Bethesda games, people wouldn't stop talking about <laughs> the graphics. Um, uh, so like, I don't think the younger generation ha had to go through that bombardment of like expectations uh, of what games had to look like um, as they do now. And also like every time I, this, I was saying this exact same thing earlier with Adam, who who's also known as Paper Cookies, he made Spookware, um, where like, like Adam's the same age as you. And um, <laughs> I'm like, what what kind of games do you want to make? He's like, oh, yeah, I really like Mean Girls. So I kind of want to make <laughs> I'm like, Mean Girls, that's from 2004. Like, <laughs> yeah. so it's just, like specifically younger like developers that want to make horror games are very influenced by that early 2000s. Um, yeah. And that retro, yeah, that retro. Which makes sense because that's the, yeah. oh, wait, no, it's the period 30 years or 20 years? I think. The nostalgia period that. Um, I thought it was thirty, actually. Like, but maybe it's twenty. What? Uh, there's there's a certain period of time where things uh, tend to become retro. Um, oh, mm -hmm. that's so true. I, thought, I think it's closer to thirty years. If you saw what was someone, that? If you saw someone with a ten year old phone, you'd think they're being retro. But I think for pants, it's like forty years. <laughs> okay, maybe it depends <laughs> on the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like no one, no one's gonna like bat an eye at ten-year-old jeans, but like forty-year-old jeans, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anywho, you know, uh, actually, I had a, um, I was real behind on phones. I was still using a flip phone, like, um, how many years? Like four years ago, maybe. Oh Jesus! Maybe three Ooh. years ago like while i was working on dusk at conventions i still had a flip phone um yeah i don't now but <laughs> they're gonna come back i swear they're gonna be like all trendy again probably like, yeah tom like tamagotchi back. Already, like, i mean flip phones, phones are cool so they should come back i see i think we're gonna get a retro futurist thing where we're gonna get flip phones back and they're just used to like make calls and they're like you know but they're gonna be sleek and stylish looking they're going to be like, Probably, all of the yeah. functionality, none of yeah. the hassle. Try flip phones for when you don't want to have to be on the internet all the time. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. That would be... I could see it. <laughs> all right. Um, I think we're coming up on our, our time limit here. Um, yeah. I know we all have meetings to get to today and stuff. Um, hey, Philip, how can people uh, follow you? How can they get to know more about you? What are your social details? I think Twitter is the the only good place. <laughs> um, so my Twitter handle is uh, at uh, that snillet. So T-H-A-T-S-N-I-L-L-E-T. Yeah, or you can just follow Tridex and look at their and look at their retweets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're listening <laughs> to this in the future, though, the uh, the link will be in the description for, for how to follow Snillet. Um, do either of you guys have any kind of uh, final questions for him before we get out of here? I don't. Nope. I can't think of any personal. I'm just uh, looking forward to your future. Your yeah, your future as a game developer. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Same. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> Snell it. I think we're all very excited to see where you go in the future. Um, 
Yeah, guys, uh, you know, uh, Axis Monday, uh, I think it's it's a fantastic little game. I'm really, you know, with, when it was our, when we started doing this most recent Dreadx collection, we decided to, like, scale back the number of devs and instead give them more time to focus on making more polished games. This is the kind of thing that I had in mind, because I think that Axis Monday is, you know, uh, a really great example of, like, you know, the step up that the collections uh, have really taken with this with this new one. Um, I, I think it'll be, a, a, you know, a, a nice, meaty, robust experience with a lot uh, of cool stuff to find, even if uh, you're not, you know, you expect the game to only be maybe an hour long, and then, you know, you play it the first time, and then you find out that there's more stuff to explore. So, you know, there's a lot there with Access Monday, and, uh, so, uh, you know, especially since you learned Unity to do it, you really you really nailed it, man. So, you know, congratulations on making an awesome game. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, for for those of you listening out there, um, you know, you can always, we're, we've got plenty of uh, more of these shows coming up. You know, we're going to be doing all the devs, uh, so at least seven more of these. Um, and, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to you all being able to get your hands on the game when it comes out on the 13th. So if you haven't done it yet, go to Steam and uh, click the wishlist button. Or uh, maybe if you're listening to this after launch, go uh, go buy a copy. Um, and, uh, yeah, follow us at, at DreadXP uh, underscore... I don't know how to vocalize that yet. It'll be in the description. Click our link in the description to, to follow us on Twitter uh, to find out more about future collections, the other bigger games we have coming out, other fun stuff we have going on. There's always something going on at Dread XP. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, uh, do the, the whatever's is whatever platform you're listening to this on. I don't, I don't know where our podcasts are now. SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever. Do the, the likes and the subscribes, whatever the, the Napster. is. Napster, yeah. Kazaa. <laughs> Uh, uh, we're, we have a good presence on, uh, I'm trying to think of what is other piracy sites, but I can't remember. God, too, gosh, I genuinely don't remember any of the old piracy stuff. I'm too old. I guess I'm a productive member of society now. Anyways. Uh, Isn't, doesn't that suck? You suddenly I, realize you've become a productive member of society. You know Just what? Like, it's actually very I'm... freeing because I don't have to review games anymore. But anyways, that'll be for a future discussion. I don't want to get into a tangent at the very tail end here. Thank you guys for all joining today, and uh, I will you. see you all soon. Bye! 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 And cut.